Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. It's great to be with you and uh, we are starting a brand new series today called Acts of the Spirit. We are going to be looking at the book of Acts, which is a New Testament letter. And in particular, we're going to think about the work that the Holy Spirit does in the church through this letter. Acts picks up straight after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it's actually part two of a two-parter written by a guy called Luke. The first bit was the Gospel of Luke, the second is Acts, and it picks up immediately afterwards, and it looks at the spread of the early church across the ancient world. The first verse of Acts says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And the fact that Luke talks about the work that Jesus had begun to do implies that he thinks that Acts follows the work that Jesus continued to do. Now, not by his presence here on earth, but through his followers by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, many ancient commentators pointed out that the full title, Acts of the Apostles, is probably not the best title for this book. It should actually be called Acts of the Spirit because it charts the work of the Spirit through the apostles. And so we have taken that as the title for our series. And if you've never read the book, I would highly recommend reading it this term. It is an exciting book. It is full of adventures. It is full of miracles. It is full of incredible faith stories about them going into various different places, facing enormous challenges and God doing incredible things. And it's also quite a personal book to me. I found this book to uh, really hold a, a precious place in my heart. When I was a kid, I went to a uh, a very, very traditional church. I have nothing against tradition and ritual. I like all that stuff. But to be perfectly honest, this particular church was not helpful for me as I was exploring faith. I grew up as a child, just seeing a version of Christianity that seemed utterly irrelevant to me. I was never asked to do anything differently or live any differently. I felt like Christianity was meant to be boring and sort of irrelevant to my life. At the age of 12, I was invited to a Bible study that the vicar was running for people of our age, and I thought, well, I should probably read the Bible. So I started at the book of Acts, and I opened it up, and I was blown away by what I read. It's a story that is so exciting, so full of life. And I was seeing these accounts of people who seemed to have a faith that made a difference to them. They would pray and things would happen. They would hear God's whispers. They would follow them and find themselves caught up on this incredible adventure. They would pray for the they would be healed. There were amazing stories. And I read this and I thought, why is my experience of Christianity not like this? So I went to the first week of this Bible study and I said to the vicar, I'm reading the book of Acts. It's incredible. Why is our experience of Christianity not like this? Where are the miracles? Where's the Holy Spirit? And he calmed me down and he sat me down and he said, you don't have to worry about that. These are ancient stories. These things haven't happened for thousands of years. (laughs) And so I just thought, oh, all right. Well, I didn't know any better. So I just assumed that's True, that's the case. And so I set my expectations low. I thought, well, maybe Christianity is meant to be boring and irrelevant. Maybe that's just how it's meant to be. I kind of just resigned myself to the fact that Christianity would be no more exciting than I was experiencing in that moment. And yet there was a little seed of disappointment in my heart because I really felt like I'd been given this sort of dangled carrot of a beautiful, exciting life in front of me that was then snatched away. I just resigned myself to the fact there was no power available to me like there was in these ancient stories. Fast forward a few years, and like Elise said, being a student is just so exciting. I moved to a new 
place. And to be honest, I was ready to give up on faith. I just felt like Christianity had nothing to offer to me at all. And one of the things that changed, there were a few things, but one of them was going to a church where they were preaching through the book of Acts. And I was like, that's a little bit weird. Someone should tell these people these things haven't happened for centuries. And I was like, why spend all this time looking at stories of things that don't happen anymore and haven't done for thousands of years? But not only were they talking as if these things did happen, they were actually living as if this book was real for today. For the first time, I think in my life, I was seeing people who seemed to really be passionate about their faith. They prayed and they actually expected that God might hear them and answer them. So they prayed with more passion than I'd ever seen anyone pray before in my life. They worshipped wholeheartedly. They prayed for the sick and instead of just nothing happening or them dying, they got better. They prayed. Incredible things happened. They seemed to think that God was whispering to them and when they followed the whispers, things turned out well. And they essentially told me that this life that you have read about and been told no longer exists, it does exist. It is, a, it is accessible today. It is for you if you want it. And that blew my mind as I started to experience God for myself in a way I didn't think I was allowed to, having been born in the wrong century. The message that I heard there that changed my life is the essential message I want to preach today. And it's the essential message of this series. There is a quality of life available to us that you cannot find anywhere else. And it is available through relationship with God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't make promises with an expiry date. These promises are still available to us today. We can experience the Spirit. We can be caught up in the great adventure of God. And in this series, we will look at various things that the Holy Spirit does, how he empowers us for boldness, faith, miracles, mission, unity, and plenty more. But today, I want to start where the book starts, which is with the the promise of power and the story of Pentecost. And it's a familiar story to many of us, I'm sure. We'll read some verses from Acts 1 and 2 in a few minutes. But first, I want to step back and give us a little bit of context. So Pentecost was one of the three great Jewish festivals. And the word Pentecost actually means 50th because it came 50 days after one of the other great festivals, the Passover. Essentially, it was a harvest festival. It was known as the Feast of First Fruits because they would celebrate by bringing in the beginning of the harvest, thanking God for it and trusting that there was more to come in its place. So it was essentially a harvest festival. But over time, the Jewish literature tells us um, it became associated with more than just harvest. Actually, there were two parts of Israel's story that got celebrated in this festival. One was the giving of the covenant to Noah, these promises to bless the world. And one was the giving of the law to Moses. And if you know that story, it's an amazing story where Moses is up this mountain and he meets God and there's wind and there's fire. And God gives him this picture for how he wants his people to live. And Pentecost essentially became a celebration of these three things, harvest, covenant, and law. And people would flock to the temple where they would expect to celebrate in God's presence. Acts 2 tells us that at the Pentecost where the disciples are here, there are many nationalities represented. You can read the list there of things I can't pronounce. And scholars estimate that there were hundreds of thousands, possibly just shy of a million people, gathered to worship. It was a joyous festival, but there was a slight irony to it as well. Because the problem was it had also become an annual reminder of the fact that the people of God were in a bit of a mess. The Old Testament prophets were highly critical of Israel. And they told again and again how these people had failed to keep the law. They had broken the covenant. Ezekiel chapters 8 to 10 are particularly grueling and, and, and um, 
And just in your face, as Ezekiel is describing the way that the temple has become a place full of uh, corruption, where people robbed, stole, killed, and worshipped false gods. And it comes to a head in chapter 10, where it says, The glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple. God moved out of his own house. And as the people gathered to celebrate Pentecost, there's this kind of underlying irony about it. Because the truth is, They couldn't keep the laws they were celebrating. They had broken the covenant they were there to celebrate. And the very temple where they were to meet God no longer housed God. They didn't have access to his presence. And yet, the prophets who condemned Israel also spoke about a day that was coming where God will fulfill everything Pentecost was pointing towards. Jeremiah 31 said that God would make a new covenant to replace the old one. Ezekiel 11, which Lars touched on last week, talks about God giving us an undivided heart, writing his law on our hearts. So it's not just this external bunch of rules, it's in us. It gives power to change. Ezekiel 47 describes a renewed temple with streams of fresh water flowing out of it. And it talks about a harvest, these trees bearing fruit, the leaves of which bring healing to the world. Ezekiel is dreaming of a day when this empty temple will become full of life again. And from this temple, the whole world will get to experience good news and healing. And it all comes by the presence of the Spirit. So they are longing for a new Pentecost, which brings us to Acts chapter 1. And it's been 40 days since the death of Jesus and his subsequent resurrection, which took place at the Passover. And Jesus says this to the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Something climactic is about to happen. They're celebrating Pentecost as they have many, 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 many times before. But this time is going to be different. God is going to give the gift of his spirit, which will be good news for all the earth. So the disciples are told to wait. Jesus ascends to heaven. They wait 10 days. 40 days plus 10 days brings us to the 50th day. It brings us to the Pentecost. Acts 2 says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. I don't know what comes to your mind when you picture these people gathered together. I've always imagined them being sort of in some upper room in a house on the outskirts of Jerusalem, like they are in chapter 1. They're meeting in a house. They're having a meal with Jesus. And I've imagined that it's the same place. Actually, I now don't think that is the case. Because... In Luke and in Acts, it talks about them essentially splitting their time between these houses on the outskirts and the temple itself. So Luke 24 says that after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples stayed continually at the temple praising God. Acts 2 said that they split their time. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and then they broke bread in their homes. And so many scholars think that actually where these people are gathered is not just some random house on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It might actually be in the house of God, which is a term that Luke uses for the temple. So they're quite likely gathered in the temple itself, which explains why when things kick off, there are thousands of people around to hear what's going on. I mean, there aren't thousands of people just gathering outside random houses in Jerusalem, but there were thousands gathering at the temple. So picture this. The people are gathered in the temple courts. Suddenly, a 
A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, language, as the Spirit enabled them. This is an amazing moment. But for the first time in centuries, God moves back into his house. God's presence comes back to his temple in a way it hasn't been for years. But now his presence doesn't just fill a room, it fills people. It fills their hearts as the prophets were looking forward to. And they actually become the temples. They become the thing that Ezekiel was thinking of and dreaming of. They become the houses of the Spirit of God through whom good news and healing is going to flow out to the world. This is a climactic moment where Jesus says the promise of God is being fulfilled. I'm going to hear that phrase, the promise. Which promise? There are 8,000 promises in the Old Testament. Which one? All of them. Fulfilled in some sense through Jesus, his death, resurrection, and pouring out of the Spirit. The outpouring of the Spirit fulfills all that Pentecost was meant to be about. God has made a new covenant as he promised through Jeremiah. He's put it on our, uh, the law in our hearts as he promised through Ezekiel. And when Moses received the law accompanied by wind and fire, what happens here? The sound of wind tongues of fire. God is doing something just as climactic as he did back then, and it comes by the Holy Spirit. And as the disciples start celebrating, it says those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. This festival that was all about celebrating first fruits of a harvest, suddenly you just see this incredible harvest, 3,000 people. I mean, I would settle for 3,000 people, but this is first fruits. This is just like the beginning of the whole harvest that is to come. Actually, Paul goes on to talk about the first fruits of the Spirit. That's kind of what we experience and see here. But it's just a little taste of what this book has in store. God is fulfilling everything that Pentecost was meant to be about. A new era, a new era has begun. A new Pentecost has arrived. And in the story of Scripture, this is really like a line in the sand. In one sense, it's an unrepeatable event. But all of us living on the other side of that line, have access to the same promises Jesus made on this day. We can experience the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I want to just look at two things this passage says. One promise and one challenge. Because I'm kind to you, I'll start with the promise and we'll end with the challenge. But it begins with this, the promise of power. Jesus says, there is power coming. Don't leave Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power. I mean, God has got some incredible things for these people to do. He's about to catch them up in an adventure. But he says, don't even dare to try it. Don't go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth without the power. The power is so important. When the Holy Spirit fills the disciples, everything about them changes such that they are then equipped to do things they could never have done before. God does not call us to do things for which he does not also equip us. When God calls us to do the impossible, he knows it's impossible, but he makes it possible by giving us power. He doesn't call us to do things for which he doesn't also equip us. That's why he says, don't dare go and try this by yourself. Wait until you have received power. And when they receive power, everything changes. Now, if you're anything like me, when I think about being empowered by the Spirit, my mind goes to the kind of so-called supernatural kind of aspects of that. The idea of hearing God's whispers or being able to pray for someone who's sick and they get better. Those kind of things that I know I cannot do in my own strength. But actually, that's only just a tiny fragment of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives and only a tiny fragment of what he does in this book. 
When you look through the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, you find that when people experience the Spirit, everything in their life changes. They do experience miraculous things. These languages that they have never learned, uh, they're able to speak them. They're able to pray and people are healed. They do hear whispers from heaven that direct them. They do get boldness to share their faith. But also these seemingly natural things start to happen as well. People experience a newer, dynamic experience of worship. They're filled with joy and peace. They're filled with a sense of God's love. They're given assurance of their relationship to him. And their character starts to change as the Spirit makes them more like Jesus. When we talk about being empowered by the Spirit, we don't just mean that we get a few little skills that we didn't used to have. Everything about our lives gets changed. Have you experienced anything of these things? Rich Butt has. (laughs) Have you experienced any of these things? I often talk to people who think they've experienced nothing of the Holy Spirit. Actually, everyone who is a follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit within them. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. He is the one that puts the law in our heart, helps us to experience the new covenant. But many people don't know that there's more to it than that. Or they just relegated the idea of the Spirit to the seemingly weird miracle things. Actually, the Holy Spirit does loads of stuff in our lives. I imagine many of you in this room, if not all of you, have experienced something of this. Have you experienced deep joy and peace that you can't explain? Change of character, an inner strength to break destructive habits. These are the marks of the Holy Spirit, and they are as much to be celebrated as hearing his whispers or praying for the sick and seeing them healed. God promises to fill all of our lives with his power. If you've experienced those things, that's the Spirit. And if you feel like you've looked at that list and thought, there are certain things there I've never experienced, you know how you get them? Ask the Spirit. The great theologian Karl Barth said this, there can be no abstract receiving and possessing of the Holy Spirit. I like that idea. He's saying, when you receive the Spirit, you just kind of don't go, oh, yes, I intellectually now understand that I've received the Spirit. No, it makes no difference to my life. It's not an abstract thing that we just agree with. There are concrete results every time. It's impossible to have the Holy Spirit within you without things changing. A whole life gets transformed by his presence. And Jesus speaks about the Spirit in a way that really annoys a pedant like me because he just seems to mix all his metaphors all the time. You see, he talks about us being baptized in his Spirit. But then he goes on and talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Elsewhere, we read about being filled with the Spirit or clothed with power from on high. And these terms seem to be largely interchangeable, but they kind of don't really work with each other. They're a bit strange. I mean, the word baptism... It means to be plunged into something. It was used when you would dye cloth. You would baptize it into the dye and pull it out and it would look different. And Jesus says you can be plunged into God such that when you come out, you look different as a result. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get plunged into God. And then he says, and sometimes God gets poured into you. I'm like, Jesus, which is it? Do I go into God? Does God come into me? Both. No one metaphor does the job of summing up the full work that the Spirit does. Jesus describes the Spirit sometimes like wind, which can't be contained. I'm like, okay, I got it, wind, yes. And then he's like, and it's like fire. Like, wind, which is it, Jesus? Is it wind, is it fire? He's like, well, it's also like water. No, fire and water do not fit together. I know this, Jesus. My science is poor, but even I know these things can't fit together. Why not pick one metaphor and stick with it, Jesus? He's like, one metaphor doesn't do the trick. All these metaphors come together to paint a picture of a life fully changed by God inside and out in every way. Now, all of us are different. 
And all of us experience the Spirit very differently. And that is okay. In fact, that is good. I've used this metaphor before, so if you heard, heard it, go with me. But uh, I and my wife are very different, which is great news for her. <laughs> um, we are very different. And, and one of the major ways is in our approach to swimming pools. If you were to come on holiday with us, which is not an open invitation, by the way. I just <laughs> get in it quickly. Dave's like packing his bags. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not, not having you there where I'm in my swimwear. So if you were to come on holiday with us, uh, one of the major differences you would spot is my wife and I are a different approach to swimming pools. For some bizarre reason, it takes her about half an hour to get into a swimming pool. Like she is the kind of person who's like, oh, it's cold. And so she'll dip one toe in, wait for it to fully acclimatize. And then and only then the next toe goes in. The next toe goes in. 10 minutes later, the first ankle. It's like excruciating. I'm like, I know it's cold, but the way to deal with it, just get it over and done with. And I just charge in like an impatient mammal. It's not, it's, all right, thanks. <laughs> um, it, it's not great. Uh, but she's like half an hour. I'm just quick, get it over and done with. We're both very different. Actually, to be honest, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you get in the pool. I mean, in her case, it is the end of the day. But like, it, and she's not here to, <laughs> to correct that. It, to be honest, it doesn't matter how you get in the pool once you're in. The question is not, how did you get here? The question is, are you enjoying it? Are you enjoying life in the pool? Are you enjoying swimming around, enjoying this whole experience? I don't really care how you get into life in the spirit. What I care about is, are you in the pool? For some of us, we have dramatic experiences of God. I could tell stories of dramatic experiences I've had. And I've concluded that actually, maybe God gives me dramatic experiences sometimes because I'm too dumb to notice the subtle ones. <laughs> Some people have bold experiences of the Spirit that transform everything in one go. It's like just jumping in. Some people, it's more like I experience a little bit of change, a bit more peace than I had yesterday. And then I have the courage to ask God for a bit more change. And I go in and then I say, well, I could really do with hearing your whispers. I'll trust a bit more. And eventually we get in. I don't care how you get in. I just care, are you in the pool? Are you enjoying the fullness of the life that God has for us? And being empowered by the Spirit is not a one-off thing. It happens again and again and again. We need it to happen again and again and again. In the first few chapters of Acts alone, it happens again and again. Acts 2, first time, Peter experiences the Spirit. Two chapters later, he's arrested, brought before this court and asked to give an account for what he has done. And it says he's filled with the Spirit and boldness. The end of the chapter, he goes back to the disciples. They pray, they're filled with the Spirit. And Peter doesn't go, oh no, I've had my quota for the day. Over to you guys, I'll sit this one out. No, he just has more of the Spirit which is great because I need more and more and more of the Spirit. The question is not, have you ever experienced the Spirit in a way that you can kind of go, well, yeah, yeah, this was one time 15 years ago. The question is, are you in the pool now? Are you experiencing the life of the Spirit now? Let me ask you two questions. Are there areas of your life where you are aware of the power of the Spirit? Maybe as I put that list of things up earlier, joy, peace, love, hearing God's voice, maybe there were things there you thought, I never realized that was the Holy Spirit's work in my life. But now I know, yeah, I can spot that. That's great. Ask for more of it. Are there areas of your life where you know you need to experience God's power? Maybe you looked at that list and thought, I've never experienced that, that, or that, but I could really do with it. You know how you get it? Ask the Spirit. And we're going to have an opportunity to do that at the end. We will pray and see what God does. But there is this power that is promised by Jesus that can transform us inside and out. But it comes with a challenge. And the challenge is the challenge to surrender. This passage 
sort of builds to a point where Peter preaches this message of good news and then people respond and say, what should we do? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. Peter lists two things required of us and two things God promises in return. Andy Tilsey will talk more about this in a couple of weeks' time, so I won't dwell on it too much. But essentially, he says, repent and be baptized. To repent means to turn away from your old life, destructive habits that are tied up in it. But you don't turn away from your old life until you've got something greater to turn towards. He's saying, if you're going to turn towards the adventure of God, you've got to turn away from your old life. That's what it means to repent. And God promises that if we do that, we're forgiven. Our old life washed away. But then he says, be baptized. Why? Well, I think it's because baptism is an act of surrender. It, again, is a way of saying, I'm turning away from my old life. I'm getting ready for a new life, this adventure you have called me on. I won't say too much on baptism. David touched on it in the notices. And like he said, we are having an opportunity for people to be baptized on November the 19th. And if you've never been baptized, I would highly recommend it. If you go to the Christchurch website, christchurchlondon.org forward slash baptism, I think you'll find a link there to a talk I gave where I explained a bit more of it in, in way more depth. Do check it out. Essentially, baptism is a way of saying, I surrender to you and I am ready to start this brand new life. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus uses the same word, baptism, for the experience of the Spirit, and then Peter uses it for the experience of going into water. Because I think in both, there is a willing surrender of our old life and a readiness to embrace a new life. Being lowered into the water represents a washing away of our old story. Being raised up again represents the coming into a new life. And the same is true of baptism in the Spirit. Our old life, dull, in black and white, washed away. Our new life in full color is brought into being. Through baptism, we surrender to God and we experience his spirit. Now, let me be clear. I am not saying that you cannot experience the work of God through the Holy Spirit if you haven't been baptized in water. I am not saying that. But I am saying that you are unlikely to experience the full life-transforming power of the spirit unless you surrender in some way. And baptism is a perfect way to do that. If we are to experience the presence and power of God, we need to surrender to him because the spirit is not just some force that takes over He's a person who cultivates relationship with us. And it's in relationship that we experience his power. And if we are to experience his power, then we need to invite him in. We need to open ourselves up to him. And when we do, he responds by filling us with his presence. I said earlier that when I went to university, I had this experience of going to a church where for the first time, it seemed like this life that I had been told no longer existed was available. And as I talked to people, I thought, I really want this. I really want this life. And a few months in, there was an opportunity for people to be baptized. And um, I didn't even know if I was allowed. I'd been christened as a child. The classes I'd gone to, age 12, were for confirmation. And uh, so I'd been christened. I'd been confirmed, which is a way of saying I take these promises from baptism or christening and I make them my own. I thought, I've done that. I'm not sure that I'm allowed to be baptized. But something within me made me think, I really need to do this. And so I said to my pastor, can I get baptized? He was like, sure. We talked about what it meant. In the weeks running up to my baptism in water, I was praying and praying and saying, Lord, I want this life. I want your Holy Spirit. When the day of my baptism came, I remember it so vividly. We did our baptisms in a swimming pool, which was essentially in a greenhouse uh, in this school grounds where we met. And everyone would come and gather around and watch as people were being baptized. And it came to my turn. And so I got in the pool 
I'm glad it wasn't my wife trying to get in the pool. We would never have left. I just sort of jumped in and, and, and I'd been praying, Lord, would you give me your spirit? And as I went to the middle of the pool, I could hear this sound. And it was like rain. I mean, it was rain just, just pouring on the roof of the pool. And it got heavy. Like as I was trying to get to the middle of the pool, it was getting really heavy. So much so that the pastor just had to shout to be heard. So he was standing next to me like, do you repent of your sins? I'm like, I'll repent of anything. Just stop screaming in my ear. Like I'll confess to crimes I've never done. It's fine. Just stop screaming at me. But he was like, do you repent? He lowered me down in the water and he pulled me up and people were clapping and I could see, but I couldn't hear because the rain was just so loud. And as I started swimming back to the edge, the rain stopped. And I remember thinking, a little bit weird, but you know, didn't think much more of it. I got out this old family friend standing by the side of the pool. And he leant over, and in that kind of way that only an old wise man can do, he said, that wasn't rain, that was the Holy Spirit. And I remember thinking, no, that was rain. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone saw it, everyone heard it, that's how clouds work, this was rain. (laughs) But as soon as I thought that, there was just this thing in my heart that I couldn't explain where this thought came from. But it was like a little jab saying, no, This was a picture from God, and you need to believe that he has heard your prayer and he has answered it. And now you need to stop doubting and live like this life is available to you. And I just thought, whoa, (laughs) where did that come from? And so I left that pool, to be honest, not feeling much different. A bit wetter, but not a lot else. But I felt like this life that had been dangled in front of me and then snatched away. Now God was saying, I don't want you to doubt anymore. I want you to believe the spirit is available to you. Over the coming weeks, I found that my life started to change in incredible ways. I started to find that I was way more passionate about praying than I had been before and worshiping and reading the Bible. I was like, where did this passion come from? I didn't know. I found that I was way more confident about speaking about my faith to my friends, so much so that over the next year, two of my housemates at uni came to Christ. I would have been terrified before, but something changed. I found that I would, in worship, just be praying for someone and suddenly a thought would come into my mind and as I shared it, they would go, how do you know that? That really spoke to me. That really helped me. I don't know. (laughs) I found that as I started to pray for people who were sick, they didn't get worse. (laughs) They got better sometimes as well. I found that habits that had held me back for years just seemed to lose their power and control over me. That's what happens when the Spirit is in your life. I tell you, if I were given a choice between the life before that day and the life after that day, it's no contest. I would never go back. I'm not saying that life has been plain sailing since that point, like miracles every day, two miracles before breakfast. It's not been like that. There have been seasons where I felt like God has been more present, seasons where it seems like he's been less present. Seasons where I felt like I've heard his whispers all the time. Seasons where it's been hard to know what I should do. And it's felt like I can't get through to God. Seasons where I've just loved worshiping. Seasons where I'm like, come on, anything but this. (laughs) Like, it's not always been easy. But I tell you, the adventure I've been caught on has been way more exciting than anything I ever dreamed of. Have you experienced the power of the Spirit? Do you long for more of the power of the Spirit? God calls us to an incredible life, but he doesn't call us to a life for which he also doesn't equip us. When God calls us to do the impossible, he also gives us power. 
He makes the impossible possible by his presence in our lives, transforming us to be more like him. He has amazing plans for this church and for individuals in this church. But I tell you, if we are to be a blessing to the city, it starts by us surrendering to him and allowing him to fill us with the power. A couple of weeks ago, a bunch of us were away for a leaders weekend. About 180 of us, we were worshiping and hearing teaching and praying and getting to know one another from across our four services. And in one of the sessions, someone came and shared something they felt God might be saying to us as a church. It really resonated with me. It was in essence this. If we are to have access to all areas of the city, we need first to give God access to all areas of our hearts. I think that's exactly right. And I think that's exactly what we see here in this book. Jesus says, I've got plans for you to bring healing to the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, not stopping there, the ends of the earth. He's catching us up on a great adventure. But he says, don't you dare even try and leave Jerusalem until first I give you power. How does the power come? By giving God access to all areas of our hearts. Are you surrendered to God? If you want to be used by him for his great adventure in this city and way beyond, you need first to experience his power by surrendering your life to him. Maybe the band can come back up. Let me ask you this question. Are you living in the power of the Spirit? I don't care how you get in the pool. I care that you're in the pool. Are you enjoying the life of the Spirit? If you want more, it starts with surrender. What would surrender look like for you today? Maybe for some of you, you have never dared to believe this kind of life is available. Maybe for some of you, you have been missold a substandard version of Christianity and you have thought these are ancient stories, I shouldn't get my hopes up. Maybe today, the step for you to take is to dare to believe that God means it when he promises things and his promises are still available to you today. Maybe some of you have never asked for the Holy Spirit. Why not ask him today? Maybe for some of you, you know that there are things in your life, destructive habits that have held you back and the call is to repent. Confess them to God, turn away from that old life, turn towards this new adventure he wants to call you on. He is faithful. He promises to forgive us and empower us. Maybe for some of you, actually the step is to decide to be baptized in water. We'll be doing that November 19th. Maybe today, make a choice. I am going to get in touch with someone and find out more about that. Of course, you don't have to wait until the third week of November to experience his power, but that's a great thing to do. We can experience his power today simply by coming to him in worship and prayer. Why don't we stand? Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.